Hi guys, this is Ben with another iteration of the Analytica podcast. We're here today with Brian Sanzo, the founder of Ice Social Fans. Hi Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We're very excited to have you. Uh, now I've been looking through what you've been been posting over the last couple of days, and you know we've all been into our what's going on in 2017. What are the top 10 things to look out for in marketing, content marketing, and so on. And it seems like a lot of those lists these days talk about influencer marketing. It's anywhere in the 2017 trends to look out for. Uh, firstly, do you agree with that? Does it have a place there? So I think without question, I think part of the, the issue we have now today, you know, more so than any time we've had before, is that we have more channels, more distractions, more opportunities to consume um, content of all types, brand content, uh, non-branded content. And I think with all of that noise, and all of these uh, opportunities, I always say my, my grandfather growing up in Pittsburgh told me, you know, he had three channels on his TV, but he didn't have a remote. So really, in his mind, he had one channel of, of news every single day. It was one, only one place he could get his information. And now we have hundreds of opportunities just on our, our phone alone. And I think for brands, it, it's now figuring out how do I stand out from the noise? How do I, I cut through the noise? And then ultimately... What, is it, what does it mean to do all of those things and do it in an authentic way? And I think influencer marketing is that, is that step. It requires a little bit of a change in um, strategy for a lot of brands, but I couldn't agree more. 2017 is definitely, I believe, the year where influencer marketing becomes a staple in all brands' uh, marketing you know, plans moving forward. All right. So you think with, with the level of noise that we experience now, it's, it's getting on the trusted channel, if you will to cut through the noise to the people that you want to talk to? Well, we're living kind of in this on-demand generation, and I'm a, I'm a millennial, but I'm a, I'm a pager-wearing millennial, which really doesn't mean I don't have a pager today, but I, I did own a pager. I'm 35, so I'm like on the, the upper end of the millennial spectrum. But I think if you look at this, the, the kind of consumption we have today, it used to be kind of like the field of dreams. If we build it, they will come. And now it's changed where we, the consumer has the power and the consumer says, you must come to me on my preferred communication channel, on my preferred network, and you must not only bring me the information, but you can't be disruptive. We, we didn't like commercials, so we moved to you know, DVRing our TV. We didn't even like DVRing our TV, so now we have on-demand with things like Netflix. So when you're looking at, you know, as a brand, not only do you have to figure out where the best channels are, but you now have to figure out how do I get on those channels and not do it in a disruptive kind of, I would say, um, you know, insults type way where you just come in and, and blast your message. You now have to actually be part of the conversation and rather than build it and they will come, it's now go to where they're at and be part of their community to stand out. Right, so that kind of that that leads me on nicely to something that that I hear you talk about quite a lot, and that is think like a fan. Tell me about that. So you know, I think for brands, um, especially in this new digital era, I think for the last nine or ten years, digital and social media has has really grown and allowed us online to become further and further away from our consumer, further and further away from our customer. And we've heard things like content is king and, and all of these different kind of, uh, I'd say, catchwords and things that have really been working in, working in marketing. But today, to not only reach the right audience, but to provide content that the audience actually wants to consume, wants to share, right? The, the idea of creating a viral video, you know, everyone will say, you know, I created a viral video that nobody watched. 
And really, you didn't create a viral video. You created a viral video in your own head. But because it, it wasn't what the audience wanted, it wasn't what your, your consumer wanted to share, it never went viral. It was never shared. So I think when you're looking at, when a brand's looking and saying, hey, how can I leverage the tools that are out there today? And I, I do a lot of work in the live video space. So Facebook Live and Periscope, you know, I've, I've launched uh, accounts with IBM, Dell, Samsung, SAP. I, I broadcasted from the Super Bowl. And that entire mentality was, how do I put myself in the fans' shoes? So like, if I'm thinking like a fan, what would my fans like to see that they can't get elsewhere? And then how do I create content around that? Because if you think of it this way, if you bring your fans into kind of exclusive access, so if it's behind the scenes or the red carpet or maybe the day before a product release or maybe even just into your boardroom on a Friday, you're giving them kind of that exclusive access to make them feel part of what you're doing. And I think there's nobody out there. It's not a millennial thing. It's an everybody thing. We all want to know that our voice is heard and we want to be a part of things that we're investing in. You know, if we're, we're spending money in it, we, we hear these things like, you know, uh, millennials only want to invest um, in businesses or spend their money with businesses that have a greater social good. And part of that is because they want to feel like what they're, what they're spending their time in and what they're investing in is, is part of something bigger. And I think when I work with brands and we're looking at strategies, I say, think like a fan. And really, it's putting yourself in your fan's shoes. So it doesn't matter if you're a B2B software company, maybe you're a, a plumber, or maybe you're, a, you know, you're an event organizer. The question becomes, how do I provide kind of this exclusive access and then how do I do it in an authentic way? And that's where the influencers come in because now I'm thinking like a fan. I'm providing content that my consumers actually want to consume. And then I'm putting it in a way where I'm actually empowering someone that they already trust to create that content. And now the brand kind of comes the facilitator and says, hey, I support this community. I understand my user base. And here's someone that I want you to bring, that, that I'm bringing with me to bring you access into content you can't get elsewhere. And I think the combination of that really does take this new idea where it's not just content is king, but it's how do I give exclusive access to build that, not only that authority, but how do I establish trust with the influencer as well as with the community that's actually consuming the content? That's really interesting because you're taking a, a good angle to the uh, something that I quite, quite like to talk about a lot is the value triangle, right? It need, there needs to be something in it for you as the brand, there needs to be something in it for the influencer and there needs to be something in it for that influencer's audience. Otherwise, these engagements don't work, right? But it's very common. Without question. Yeah, without question. And it's very common that brands will focus on making sure that there's something in it for the influencer and for them and go down that side of the triangle first. But what you're actually saying is go down the other side of the triangle first. Make sure that whatever content you approach someone with that your audience, which should be their audience, because that's, that's what you're looking for, make sure that that content works for them, because you're actually breaking down that barrier before you're even engaging with the influencer, right? You're saying, hey, we've checked this out. The people that you talk to seem to love this. How about you want to be the guy that actually brings it across? Without question. I think, and I think you hit it right on the head with the value triangle. And I think the interesting part is I actually put the onus on the influencer as well as the brand. And it's something that I've really, I've launched a course that really has a lot to do with, you know, as an influencer, I, I don't believe any one brand, any one event, any one product 
is ever worth jeopardizing the authenticity and trust that they that that influencer has gained with their community. And so when a brand comes to an influencer and prevents presents an opportunity to, you know, work with this brand, it has to not only be beneficial for that influencer like you said, but it also the influencer has to say, "Hey, is my community going to resonate with this? Is am I going to actually be able to have influence, which means you know, I'm, by sharing this, I'm actually going to prompt an action, not just going to broadcast it to a you know a wide number of people. But my my trust with this group and the the fact that this is an authentic part, you know, either a product, authentic brand, I'm going to actually be able to create action by sharing that. And then as a brand, you don't want to work with an influencer that doesn't have that kind of mentality because you know losing trust with the audience is what that influencer's it's really their value proposition. That's their, that's what they're selling. They're saying, you know, I have trust with this community and this community trusts me so much so that by aligning with me, you have a better chance of bringing your product in a faster way and probably a less disruptive way to my community. But if a influencer doesn't value that, that, that relationship and that trust, then the brand should see that as a red flag. And then as a brand, you should start saying, okay, now that I know that this influencer will not jeopardize their community or their trust with their community. How do I team up with them to create content that makes sense? Because it's nothing more frustrating than saying, well, we like you because you're an out-of-box thinker. We like you because you do your things your way and your community trusts you. But if you're going to work with us as a brand, you have to do it our way in our, our box. And I think that's kind of the, the older way of this kind of relationship. And moving forward, I think it's kind of like that meeting in the middle, having a shared you know, purpose, and then both understanding that value triangle, as you said, and making sure that trust is on all three sides, not just two of the sides, which I think, unfortunately, a lot of the relationships in the past have been. Yeah, and you've said some really interesting stuff there about kind of a, a professional code of conduct and the unique asset that uh, are are the wares of of the influencer. So let me put a pin in that for a second because I want to get back to that. Uh, we were talking about content just before that and saying, you know, how we can spend a lot of time understanding what perspective it is that is actually valuable for us to deliver uh, to our fans or those people that will become our fans eventually. So if we move back to that step just a little bit more, and usually when you say, look, I've got a makeup product and there are channels that I know people love, so if I just get on that channel, all will be well. If we go way back to the beginning of that, and you're looking at a B2B brand that's just starting out to discover the right influencers for them, if you had, say, a five-point checklist, what would be your advice to them? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to start by realizing that, you know, the whole, the whole think like a fan aspect is, you know, nobody likes being marketed to, nobody likes being sold to. And then on top of that, even as an influencer, the, the, the concept of like, hey, you have influence is still a weird thing. I, I like to say, although there are professional influencers today, nobody, you know, I have three daughters. My daughters aren't saying, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to be an influencer or I want to influence somebody, right? I'm really That's happy to hear that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, yes, me too. And I think the, the influence, I like to say, is a byproduct of the community. And so if you're looking at that checklist, I think first and foremost, the, the idea has to be, it has to be a collaboration of what content and then how do we tell that content over a, a story? Because here's the thing, I think for a lot of brands, especially when you're looking at influencer marketing, you're looking at it in the short term. 
But yet, if you look at a brand and you say, how do you build relationships? You always hear brands say, well, relationships are a long-term play. And I think just like a story, a good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I believe part of this crafting of content when it comes to working with influencers is how do I craft content so that it does have a beginning? It allows me as the brand to introduce myself with the influencer to that community. That doesn't mean drop a call to action and product placement, you know, wham, bam, and we're done. It means, okay, I need to introduce, I need to bring myself into this arena. And I always say, like I have, the way I walk that through is I say, you have to socialize and amplify that relationship. Make it make sense. So if you're a product company and you're giving someone a product, make sure that that product is something they've either used in the past or they're starting to use over a period of time so that it isn't out of the clear blue. And so you socialize and you amplify, and then you start educating. I think the education part to me is probably the most essential and it's probably the one we forget the most because nobody, no consumer will ever say, you're helping me too much. You're providing me too much insights or you're solving too many of my problems. Like no, everyone says, you know, like, hey, sign me up for that. I think when you go through the education part of a relationship between a brand and an influencer, educating the audience as well as the influencer on the values of your product. Why, you know, because this is, this is one of my staples. I, I do keynotes around the world and I always say for a brand, what you do is really boring. Nobody cares what you do as a brand. They care why you do it, why this product came to life, what, it, what it's about, and then they also care how it's going to impact them, the audience. We care about the experience. We don't buy a new iPhone because we need another device. We buy an iPhone because it's going to impact us. It's going to allow me to take better pictures with my kids. The reason that the, we care about the iPhone release is we want to know why they put these products, these features in the iPhone. And so when you're looking at this and you're looking at content, I walk through and I say socialize and amplify, and then I say educate. And then the fourth one is execute on that partnership. So that, you know, storytelling, be, you know, beginning, middle, and end. Execute on, hey, this is an event we're going. Bring people kind of into that world. Allow them to understand that relationship. And then the end part is I like to say, you know, report, repeat, and tweak. And what I mean by that is this is something that, you know, you're going to test out, okay, well, we put the product placement in there, but no one really noticed the product was even there. Or the questions we got were more on an educational basis, less on a how can I buy that product or where do I need to go? And so now we go back to the drawing board and we say, okay, what kind of content can we create that educates them and answers those other questions and then repeat the process again? And I think if you look at this and you look at things like live video and YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat, these platforms, the reason these platforms are powerful is it's, it's breaking through the barrier. It's shrinking the distance between the content creator and the consumer. So rather than before it taking, I always said, 12 to 18 months for a strong relationship to be built with a a brand influencer and their community, I believe thanks to these new platforms, you're looking at you know, 60 days to 180 days to start building that relationship. But remember, because it's a, a faster pace, it's also easier to ruin that relationship at a faster pace. So that's kind of how I look at it when we're breaking down kind of building content as well as bringing that brand into that influencer's world. You socialize and amplify it. You educate the audience on why you're doing it. You execute on what your 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 common uh, you know purpose of this partnership is, and then you report, you manage it, you tweak it, and you go back and and go back to where you can do better things. And I think you know for a lot of brands, 
I, and, and even influencers, when I talk to influencers, I always tell them, you know, any influencer, any person with an audience can get a one night stand with a brand. Very few influencers can actually get them to call you back the next day. And that's because it requires you to have a relationship, understand how to report on your data, build content that makes sense for both the brand and yourself, and then ultimately build something that is more of a partnership rather than a one-off relationship. And I think that's where we're going with influencer marketing, but it does definitely take a shift in priorities and the type of content we create. I'm happy to say it only took us about three or four iterations of the podcast for someone to finally say one night stand. So I thank you for that one. Um, I was also, I was listening to the bit about storytelling and it kind of reminded me of something, which is a, a bit of a plug for the people that are looking for a new, a new bedtime read. But, uh, as I just checked my Amazon history about three years ago, I got a really, really good tip when I was working at Edelman, uh, to read a book called the seven basic plots. It's all about why we tell stories and how there are basically seven varieties of stories. And if anybody's really interested in how to create a narrative, it's a great read. It's not a short read, but um, if you want some time away from a screen, get that book. It's really interesting. That's really. I, I'm writing it down on my side. I, I have a book that's much older that I always recommend people. It's from 1936, and it's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's amazing that Dale Carnegie wrote a book in 1936 that I, I still reference on a daily basis. But I, I, I like that we can throw some books in there that walk people through storytelling as well as uh, building relationships. Absolutely. I think there's, there's hardly any more quotable books uh, than that Carnegie book. Virtually every line is something that you can repeat to someone and, and they'll get value from it. Without question. So we were talking about professional influencers and we've, uh, we've kind of moved away from that for a second to talk more about the approach. Uh, but I'm still really curious to know. So do those people give the field a bad rep, do you think? Or is there a chance of that? Well, I actually think that, and this, this is going to come off kind of harsh, but I think it's actually our fault as marketers that we've kind of thrown the word influencer out there without actually defining it for the market or educating people on what an influencer is. And, and for me, I, I believe there's three different types of influencers. And I think that's where I usually start the conversation is I believe there's a, your celebrity or your social amplifier, which has, you know, the person has natural credibility, you know, your, your Kim Kardashians, your Beyonce's, as well as your very influential um, social, you know, people that have big social following. So I think of them as one uh, type of influencer. The second one I think of is the subject matter expert, the person that is doing the work, the person that is actually, you know, hands on keyboard, you know, hands on product. They are an expert. You know, if they are a makeup person, they're the ones that have gone and tested out every single piece of makeup that exists in the world and they can actually provide subject matter expertise. And then the third one I always consider is the thought leader. And the thought leader I think of as the person that can connect the one and two and make it make the most sense, as well as kind of have that broad view of everything that's going on. So to not only kind of provide influence on what's happening today, but prepare people so they know where what the products are for tomorrow and where things are going. And so I look at this this relate these these three types of influencers. And unfortunately for the traditional um, the past lives, you know, and I think especially in the advertising space, you know, we went to Matthew McConaughey uh, to actually sell a Buick or, or a Lincoln uh, for, you know, he's on the commercial, he has credibility, he has facial, you know, his, his face is someone that people recognize. But in today's world, when someone says, hey, I'm going to buy a car, I'm not buying it because 
of a celebrity type influencer. I'm going to go to YouTube and someone that re that rents a car every single week and does a review show every week on YouTube and has now test driven 300 cars in the last two years, that person is a subject matter expert influencer that will actually influence my true decision on purchasing a car, not the celebrity that was on TV that just happens to be associated with the brand. And I think to kind of wrap that in where I think this goes is all three of those type of influencers are extremely important. And in some cases, you actually need all three to execute a, an, a successful project or a successful campaign. In other cases, you might need one or, or sometimes a combination of them. And very few times will you actually find somebody that, that, is, that is capable of doing all three of those um, roles. There are some people I actually like to consider myself as someone that has kind of grown a social following that allows me to, in certain spaces, uh, especially in like the really technology, uh, cloud computing, uh, live video space, I can, I can be a subject matter expert as well as someone that has a social amplifying type network. But for a majority of influencers today, they're going to fit in one of those three. And then as a brand, you have to figure out, okay, what is my, what is my strategy? What are my business goals? And then which one of these three or how many of these three are going to be the best for me to execute not only what my business goals are, but that's going to provide the most value for my community. So I, I don't really blame the influencers themselves because of that confusion, but I think we have to kind of start spelling out when someone says, hey, they're an influencer. What type of influencer, influencer are they? And then what kind of influence do they actually have and what's their direct relationship to their community? Yeah, and you might, you know, you might not even need all of them at the same time because I could very well imagine a scenario where the celebrities or the, the pay-for-play space is great for awareness, right? But it's not super targeted. Whereas if you're going to go for the thought leader in your example, I must be looking for a car to start watching the review show. If I'm not looking for a car, uh, that guy's not going to be much use to me. So it's almost a, you know, not everybody is right for every phase of how you want to engage your community. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's really valuable advice. And I think on that note, Brian, for today, we'll, we'll call that a wrap. Sounds good to me. That was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me on. That was Brian Sanzo for my social fans. And this is Ben for Analytica. Look out for our next podcast soon.